Uh, Tiger, Tiger Woods, y'all? That's right. Uh, you know, uh, eh? So, you know, uh, whether or not you, you like him or not, Tiger Woods is the, probably, most, many would say, the most influential athlete today, across the board, any sport. <laughs> Never heard of her? So, uh, Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods. And so, uh, and a lot of people want to argue for their favorite player or their favorite sport, but uh, a lot of would say that, that Tiger has absolutely obliterated the, the whole world of sports uh, through the game of golf. And um, even though he hasn't won in many, many, many years, uh, he is still, if he plays, ticket sales are up, ticket sales are higher, uh, uh, t television views, uh, it's just astronomical with Tiger, without Tiger, and now he's kind of making his way back in and, and, and uh, it's kind of becoming a threat again. And, and uh, absolutely, uh, in the world of golf has become a, what? A game changer. He has changed the face of golf. More people play golf today because of Tiger Woods. Golf courses love that kind of stuff, right? And so, uh, big game changer. Uh, you know what else I was thinking? I was trying to think through some, some different examples of game cha changers. Another one that popped in my mind this week was GPS. Is that a game changer? Now, how many of you guys have charted an adventure via a map paper? Raise your hand real quick. A lot, a lot of us have, right? Uh, if you're on the younger age of driving, maybe you haven't. But, but you know, that, I kind of appreciated the adventure sometimes, except for when uh, that one time that we went to Kentucky. That was rough. Um, sorry, I do apologize. She's still a little bit bitter about that time. But uh, <laughs> so I, was, <laughs> um, I promise this road connects to that road, you know, mountains. And it, it's just, it's bad. But now, like, now, like, uh, if, sorry, if you're older, I do apologize. This isn't meant to insult, but um, like, um, but sometimes you could be talking to an older person and they're like, oh yeah, well here's, here's where it's at. Okay, here's the address. But let me tell you how to get there. And they'll spend four minutes trying to tell you how to get there. The whole time you're thinking, I haven't heard a single thing. You said, I'm going to pop it on the GPS and I'm not going to think about it again. I'm going to listen to the lady. She tells me to turn. I'm going to turn. And like, like, but that's our culture, right? Like, man, GPS has completely changed the way that we drive. We can now go off to a destination, and we do not know how to get where we're going, but we're on the way there because we know the lady's going to tell us. And so GPS has absolutely changed uh, the face of how we travel. Uh, something else that has changed, uh, just complete game changer. Um, this one probably might be the biggest game changer that I can think of with all the technology, smartphones, the web, everything, and that is uh, nachos. Nachos. Do you know? Do you know that nachos didn't always exist? I mean, I mean like, huh? Like, how did people do this? As the story goes, a group of uh, U.S. military wives were uh, they walked to a restaurant in, in Mexico near the U.S. border, and um, the, the restaurant had just closed down. But um, the guy who owned the restaurant, Ignacio. Um, whipped up some stuff real quick. He fried up some tortillas and threw some shredded cheese on, melted shredded cheese and uh, uh, some jalapenos on them. And so they called them Ignacios. Eh? Anybody's mind blown? Game changer, guys. Game changer. This is it. This is the game changer that I've been living for uh, my whole life. So Ignacio Anaya, uh, you can thank him. Uh, speaking of slow clap, can we just... So... Today we are wrapping up our little, our little uh, 
series that we would call Game Changers. And um, I think all of us would agree that, man, we want our life to count for something more. You know, we, we, want, we want to do something productive. We want to do something effective. We want to do something, something that matters with our life. Like one day we don't want to look back and say, you know, none of that mattered at all. I was successful, but I, I wasn't very significant. And so uh, I think we find ourselves wanting to have an impact on this world, to be game changers, people who make a difference. Things are different because we lived. And I think that's probably true for, for you as well as it is for myself. And so uh, our whole idea is this, is we change the world, church, by serving like Jesus. You know, serving is so important as a, as a Jesus follower. Um, you know, Jesus was the greatest man to ever live. We believe he was God, uh, became man, uh, who continually lowered himself and, uh, to the point of dying on a cross uh, for you and for me. So a couple weeks ago, we started, uh, and we talked about how you, we, I, you, you need this. Like, we, we need this in our life, for our lives to count, for our lives to matter. And the path to being a game changer is serving like who? Serving like Jesus. And as, if we want to change this world, then we need to uh, serve like Jesus. We talk about how significance is greater than success. And success isn't bad, but, but significance is greater than success. We don't just want to be successful. We want our lives to be important for them to matter. And we need to serve like Jesus with a healthy dose of humility, unity, uh, the Jesus way, because we come to the realization that, you know, we might not be as important as we would like to think ourselves. And then, so first week was you need this. Uh, last week, we talked about how your church needs this. Your church needs this, and this is, uh, if you, this is your church, then, man, your church needs this. If you go to a different church, uh, then your church needs this, and, and ask people to, to serve uh, like Jesus. And so last week, I had uh, my kids' toys up here, Mr. Potato Head, and, and we talked about the body of Christ, this image that Paul lays out in, in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, and, and, um, and how uh, different parts have different functions, but every part is uh, still part of the body, and every part is important. So we talked about you're not more important than everyone else, and you're not less important than anyone else because you're part of the body. Your, your church needs you. Your church needs us. And today we're going to kind of conclude and put a bow on all this uh, that the world needs this. The world needs us, and the world needs us to serve like Jesus now more than ever. The world needs the body of Christ functioning the way that Jesus intended, in unity and humility, serving in his name with the power of the Holy Spirit driving us. So today, uh, if you have a Bible book, you know, you can turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, and um, if you have a phone, you can open up to that. If not, the scriptures will be on the screen, but I know a lot of you guys like to... Um, take notes or highlight this or that. So, so uh, first of all, a little background on Peter as a letter, because Peter uh, was one of Jesus' closest disciples. Out of, out of 12, Peter was considered like the inner three, so they were, they were tight, you know? And, uh, and, and so Peter was writing to Christians, not to a church specifically, but uh, he was writing to Christians. That's why, if you ever wonder why some books bear a name of a church or a city like Corinthians or Philippians, he's writing to churches. But this one was uh, uh, written to a general audience, so it's 
bears Peter's name, who, who wrote the letter. So there you go, a little bit of tidbit information. But, um, so Peter's writing to Christians that have been scattered across Asia Minor. That's what we know today as Turkey. And, and, and they, he's writing to encourage them to stay the course in spite of suffering, in spite of mistreatment, in spite of uh, trials that they are experiencing at the hand of the government or hands of, uh, of the culture at large, and, and they are being mistreated. So, and Peter's writing to encourage them. And so here he goes, verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, all right, so talking about Jesus, this, this living stone, okay? Rejected by human, but chosen by God, uh, is precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a what? A holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, living stones is, is you have this, with stones, you have this idea of a building material. Uh, you have something like the structure that is built out of these massive stones. They would have been so familiar with it back in the ancient culture. Today we use a lot of lumber and, and even bricks even and center blocks. But, but imagine you know, building with these stones. And so, so Peter's saying like this building that we're talking about is it's not like brick and mortar. It's not these dead stones that you're going to set there and, and, and uh, cement in. It's going to stay there for many years to come. Man, we're talking about a living stone, something that's alive and something that's active. And they would have probably associated it with the temple pretty quick. This building was this house of God. And this is where God's presence resided. Presence resided. This is where sacrifices were to happen. This is where you had to go, you know, every so often to make things right with God. But this living stone, Jesus is that cornerstone, all right? And many rejected, but, but you Christians, Peter's saying, man, you're like living stones, all right, so here we are, we're, we're building up part of this building on the structure of Jesus Christ, and uh, it's not this brick and mortar building, but it's just some, something spiritual. Then he says that word, you are a holy priesthood. You are a holy priesthood. Now, hold on, what, what, what is he talking about here, the priest, you know what I'm saying? People that wear the right clothes and say the right things and do the right actions, and uh, people who have special privileges, and uh, what is he talking about? Who, who is he talking to again? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to, to the people that are scattered uh, about through Asia Minor who, who, are, who are trying to stay strong in their faith during suffering. And he's saying, you, man, you are a holy priesthood. He's talking to people who have placed their faith in Jesus. People who have been baptized in his name. People who are, who are uh, living for his kingdom. And check this verse a couple verses later, 1 Peter 2, 9, okay? He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, there it goes again, a holy nation, God's special possession, that, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful, his wonderful light. Now, the, the Jews, they would have recognized a ton of Old Testament illusions here. So like the Old Testament, the part of the Bible before Jesus um, uh, which was God's plan and God's will for his people and ultimately leading the way for Jesus. But So that part of the Bible, you would see these things like God's chosen people. That would stand out to them. Uh, a royal priesthood, that would stand out. This holy nation, that would stand out. God's special possession. Man, that would stand out big time. But today we're going to spend our time t focusing in on 
the phrase royal priesthood and the holy priesthood. Because I think it's so important, it's something we don't talk about quite as much, but um, what do we know about priests? Well, if you look in the Old Testament, the priests were pretty, were, were super important to their, the Jewish society. They were incredibly important to their religious activities, which was intermeshed with their daily activities, their daily lives. It impacted so much of their culture and so much of their life. And, and so the priests were the ones who were in charge of taking care of the temple. Remember how important the temple was? The temple was, uh, the temple was a game changer uh, for Israel. It was a game changer for them to have a place that they could go, a place that, uh, that uh, ha- contained God's presence. It's a place where they could go and worship, a place where they can go and, and receive forgiveness. It's a place where the priest, another function of the priest, a very important one, is they would offer sacrifices. So being a priest wasn't always pretty. I envision these guys very bloody, you know, because I've seen throats of uh, animals slit, you know, like, like uh, I, I, when I was in Africa and, and someone gave us a goat. Anybody ever give you a goat? Guys gave us a goat, okay? And we're like, dude, this is awesome. We thought we had a goat, and then next thing you know, it was dinner. But, and so we got to see how they, how they do it. And it was a very surreal experience because we were thinking, like, man, this is something that they had to experience, like, all the time. The priests, this is something they were doing on a daily basis. For certain days when people sinned or when people had to be cleansed, there was always these sacrifices and offerings that had to be given by the priest. That was their gig. All right? And so... This Old Testament illusion pointing back to the priest. And here's the thing. The priest served as, as mediators between God and the people. You catch that? That's incredibly important. Priests were mediators between God and the people, between people and God. Because God's too big for, for people just to go through. And so God would call out these special people, ordain them in this special role, and train them, and, and they would be set apart. So they're not like normal people, you know? I mean, they're, 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 they are people, but, but God was going to identify through himself through them and, and vice versa. And so the priests were these mediators between man and God and God and man. Now, here's the cool thing about the New Testament is Jesus is called our great high priest, all right? Which means this, that Jesus is the ultimate mediator. He's the ultimate mediator between God and man. And that the cool thing about this is, is, is Jesus offered himself, his own eternal blood on the cross. That's why we're not bloodied all up anymore. That's why you don't come to church with a goat, okay? Wouldn't that be weird? You'd be like, is this, in, is this a Christmas pageant? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, what's going on? Oh, a petting zoo. Cool. And, uh, but, but no, but we don't have to do that anymore. And, and uh, we, don't, we don't experience that, the, the blood and the nastiness, the noise and everything that comes with all that uh, because Jesus, our great high priest, he's our ultimate mediator between the Father and us, and he paid that price for us. But even though Jesus, and that, you can find that in Hebrews 4, um, how Jesus is our ultimate high priest, but Peter still calls Christians. You and me, he still calls us priest. 
He calls us a holy priesthood. He calls us a royal priesthood. In Revelation, you can see that we are to be a kingdom of priests. And so we see uh, this idea that, that uh, as, as with the old priesthood in the Old Testament, uh, the, the task and purpose was to bring people to God. As the Old Testament priests were mediators between God and humanity, now believers in Jesus, Christians, are called to be mediators between God and this world. You hear me? Like, yes, Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He's the only way to God. Uh, you know, the Bible lays that out. He's the only path to God. But just as the priests were mediators between the, the Jewish community, and they were mediators between God and them, man, we are called to be priests, mediators between God and this world. And so we take seriously what is often called the priesthood of all believers. You know, you can go to some churches live. You guys might have different um, denominational background. I know some of you guys, like, were Catholic. And I'm not, like, knocking the Catholic church, though there are some, a few issues I do have with them. But, you know, they got a lot of good stuff going on as well. But the thing about Catholic churches and certain denominations is that there's this priestly vibe, you know. They're, they're priestly driven. There's certain duties and certain things and uh, certain rites and rituals and blessings and, and baptisms and communion. All these things that only the priest can do. No one else can do. And if someone else happens to sneak one in, you know, that doesn't count. It's not real because the priest didn't do it. But see, with us, man, uh, we take seriously what's called the priesthood of all believers. We believe that the priesthood, uh, if you are a Christian, if you place your trust in Jesus, you baptize in his name, uh, you identify with him, then you, listen, you are a priest. Look at someone next to you say it real quick and say, hey, I'm a priest. Yeah. You know? And say blessings upon you. I think they do something like that. So. But, you know, we take that serious that you are a priest. Uh, he says you're a holy priesthood. In verse 5, he says offering spiritual sacrifices. So listen, we're, you're a priest, but you no longer are, are uh, slitting throats of goats and, that rhymes, um, but, you know, and, 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 and killing doves and, and all. The, you, know, you don't have to go through that. We're not offering these physical offerings and sacrifices man we're offering spiritual sacrifices so what are these spiritual sacrifices i want to spend a couple minutes talking about talking about that hebrews 13 talks a lot about the old or hebrews itself talks a lot about how the old way you know the the, the jewish way the sacrificial system and the priestly system and and how jesus kind of superseded all that but hebrews 13 15 16 says this through jesus therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do, to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So we kind of see this two-pronged uh, way of we, us offering spiritual sacrifices. The first is this, our good words. The first form of our, our spiritual sacrifices is our good words. It's, it's, what, it's what we say. It's what we proclaim. It's what we accept. It's what we acknowledge. And when our words witness or testify to God's love, to God's grace, to God's truth, 
Uh, and that includes our own story of how uh, God uh, has turned you or changed you or used you or moved you. That includes all that. When we use that for God's glory, man, that is a spiritual sacrifice. First Peter 2.9, uh, what we just read, it says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And so part of, check this, part of stepping into your priestly role, that's right, I'm talking about you, your priestly role as believers is to use your words in a way that points people towards God. Man, that's, that's a big responsibility, guys. That's part of God's plan. And just as we've been pulled from darkness to light, that our words can pierce through the darkness into this world with God's truth and with God's love. And guess what? That's your job. It's my job. It's not just my job because I'm a pastor or because I'm the guy on stage speaking. It's not just my job because uh, I'm on staff with the church. It's, it's our job if your trust is in Jesus because you are a priest. If you're a believer, you have a story to proclaim. And so we, one of the ways that we offer our spiritual sacrifices is through our good words, okay? Second one is this. Just turn the D to a K. It's our good works. Our good works. This involves us living like Jesus. This involves us living like Jesus, uh, this holy priesthood. Like holy is the idea of holy is being separate. You know, we often think of holy. You know, they're oh, they're so perfect and uh, righteous, which is kind of true. But the idea of holy is is this idea of being set apart, as being um, completely different. And so holy is us being completely different from the world around us, and we're called to be a holy priesthood. Are we are supposed to live our lives in such a way that glorifies God? Uh, and live our lives in such a way that points the world around us to him. And it also uh, includes when we serve those around us. Loving like Jesus, serving like Jesus uh, becomes very priestly work. You with me? When you love people, when you serve people around you, man, that's very priestly work. When we point the world towards Jesus with our lives, with the way that we live, holy, uprighteous life, with the way that we love, with the way that we serve those around us. And, and here, if you're a believer, like you're a priest, if you're, if you're not a believer, you're here, you're kind of from the outside looking in a little bit, maybe you're curious. Uh, you know, our faith is never intended to be one that's to be viewed from the sidelines, you know, the whole idea of game changer is like, man, like get off the bench and you kind of get in the game and make a difference. Don't just spectate, like be a game changer. And so that's kind of the idea of our faith. It's never one that's meant just to be spectated. It's one that's meant to be lived and proclaimed and with our words and with our works. That's our spiritual offerings. That's our spiritual sacrifices that we get to offer. Um, I had a friend, I have, I have, still have him. Uh, a friend, um, his name's Chris, is your cousin, uh, but uh, we're, we're good friends. We go back to college, play a lot of music together, and I was talking to him this week about kind of, you know, hashing through some of my sermon, and, and he was telling me a story a couple years ago. He went to Ecuador um, through Compassion International. Anybody ever heard of Compassion? They sponsor like over a million kids around the world. Uh, some of you guys might have Compassion uh, or World Vision or one of those. There's tons of tons of uh, organizations that kind of help these kids all around the world um, through sponsorships. 
So he went to Ecuador. Their churches, uh, churches supports a few kids in Ecuador. And, and um, he spent some time with this lady who was kind of a matriarch, and she was like uh, leading in uh, some churches. And her name was Santa Rosita. And uh, she's telling this story uh, to my friend and some other Americans. And she said, one day, uh, I was just driving. I don't know where she was going, but she's driving. And she felt that God was telling her to turn right. Well, the problem is the only thing that was right, there was no road. It was just a bush. It was just a field. But someone who was listening to God's prompting, she turned right, man. Can you imagine if you were behind her? You're like, where are they going? You know? And, she, and the, you asked her. She had no idea. She had no idea where she was going. So she turned right, and eventually she comes into another road, and she felt like she should take this road. It ended up being, it took her to a town that was still functioning, but essentially off the grid. It like had a paved road to it, a government road to it, but it was falling apart. And, and only every, once a month would people go out and get supplies. But everything else was self-contained as far as like they, they grew and raised their own food. And, and, uh, and so they ran into this town, and she noticed that quickly that all the men were drunks. Like all, all of them. And, and like she eventually tried to find her way to the, the person in charge. Who's the person in charge? And, and they take him to this guy they called the mayor who's slapped drunk. And so he's like, who are you? And she's like, I'm sent here by the most high authority. And so he's thinking, oh, the government has sent this lady. She wasn't talking about the government. <laughs> she's talking about Jesus, you know. And so, <laughs> and, and so all the men were drunks. And, and here's the thing. She also learned all the women essentially had been raped and, and, and were pregnant from very young ages by these drunk men. And, and, and at night, and even during the day, they would, if they weren't around or if they were busy working, they would lock their kids in the house to try to protect them. Okay? It was nasty. It was dirty. Things were broken down. She, she found the church building. It was this Catholic building that was abandoned, uh, and no one was used anymore. She, so she goes to the mayor and says, hey, I need keys to the, to the church building been sent here by the most high authority. He thinks government. She's thinking Jesus. And so he gives her the keys. She goes in and finds the church building is full of idols, full of pagan gods. And so she tells all ladies, look, we got to get rid of these. And so they give her boxes and they take, they fill them and they clean house in the church. And, and then as the story goes, uh, uh, she, she uh, continues and she stays there with, this peop- with these people. She got rid of the idols. She, she started working with the men, and, and, and they started, stopped drinking. They started working. She, start, um, she got with the women, and they started, stopped hiding and living in fear, and they started working, and they were selling stuff in the towns uh, nearby. And then uh, now you can go today to the city, which my friend did, and, and kids are playing outside. They're not locked in the houses. The men are working. The ladies aren't being raped, and over 200 kids in that village, town, are sponsored through Compassion International, all because this lady (laughs) was driving and she felt this nudge to drive through a field. And and so my friend asked her about this, blown away at just the magnitude of of what uh, her story, of her testimony. And she said, oh, I could tell you a bunch like that. And here's what she said, and this stuck with me out of the story. She said, this is what happens when the church comes into the darkness of the world. Wow, right? Like, oh, th- oh, this is what happens. 
Bill Hybels says that the local church is the hope of the world through Jesus Christ. I've heard it said that the church is God's plan A, there is no plan B. I've also heard it says you are God's plan A. There's no plan B because you are the church. Like, listen, church, we're to be an extension of God's love to this world. And just as, as Santa Rosita says, this is what happens when the church comes into the darkness of the world. Uh, Matthew 5, 13, uh, Jesus tells us uh, kind of how that works. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But the salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. and It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, he says, let your good deeds shine before others. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father that is in heaven. See, this is what happens when the church comes into the darkness, man, that things change. Things that are dark become light and, and falsehoods become truth and, and, and pain becomes uh, healing. And, and that's what the church does. You know, as we're wrapping up our Game Changers series, there's a couple things I want to leave you with. The first thing is this. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are a priest, okay? If I were on my game a little bit more, I would have got you all a little special collar, you know? But uh, you're a priest. And take your priestly role seriously. Uh, last week, we uh, kicked off our Game Changers initiative. And um, that's what the brick wall over there is for if you recognize that and weren't quite sure what was going on. And on that, we, um, how many did we put up there, Angela? 37 volunteer jobs through seven different ministries that we have going on. And uh, I thought that was ridiculous. I thought we should have put like 20, maybe 25, okay, because a church our size, that's way too many. Do you know how many we got taken last week? 16 of them, just last week. Uh, and, and I think some more of you guys are going to take some more today. Um, because those represent some of the areas that we, we have needs in our church for people to step in and to their priestly duties and, uh, and to serve as part of the body of Christ, fully functioning, without uh, handicaps. Uh, and our church can be firing on all cylinders uh, because you need this, because the church needs this, but more importantly, because the world needs us to be functioning and firing on all cylinders. We don't have the time to not be functioning on all cylinders. Man, we're priests. We have priestly duties, man, to point this world towards Jesus. And so that's my first challenge is for you to prayerfully look at that wall. And uh, they'll be up next week as well. And we might even have to add some more back next week. But, but prayerfully uh, think how you can engage in being part of the body. That's something we've been praying over. And we believe that God's going to uh, use those efforts, however small it may seem. Maybe cutting grass once a month. We might be working uh, in our nursery two times out of six Sundays. You know what I'm saying? But like, like however big, however small it seems that God will start to use you. 
as we take our priestly duty series uh, serious. You know, I was thinking of some, some different examples, and I just kind of started writing them down, and I had to eventually stop, but we could go on with this. I think of things like Steve Carl. Where are you, Steve? Over there. Steve's over there. But like Steve going to prison two times a year. Um, you know, most normal people try pretty hard to stay out of prison. And you have people like Steve who, who actually spend a whole lot of time, effort, money, and energy so he can go into prison. That, that doesn't make sense, you know? Because it's a pretty dark place, you know? And I've had the privilege to go and kind of watch from the outside and see a little bit of, uh, of what happens when the light overtakes the darkness. This is what happens when the church shows up in the darkness, you know? Man, priestly duties. I see those guys who are on fire for Jesus uh, taking it to the people who are like the forgotten of society. I think of people uh, like Julie, who's, who's leading the way of our summer plunge. Man, normal people don't sign up for that mess. <laughs> like, dozens and dozens of kids, sorry. Um, but, but like kids, man, we get a chance to shape uh, and ha- create an experience for our little ones to, to have a great, fun experience to, uh, that's all about Jesus, you know, that's memorable, where they're made me. Meeting and making friends. Um, I think about our food giveaway crew who, uh, the first Saturday of every month, they give up their Saturday and they come here and set up uh, hundreds of pounds of foods to feed over 30 families uh, uh, every first Saturday. And you know what? You come and you see, you see, you know what? That's what happens when the light, when the church comes into the darkness. Man, I think of like our homeless connect that we get to partner with the city and rub shoulders with our homeless populations and, uh, and to help them get some of the support that they need. And I see people talking with people who don't look, act, or smell like them. And, and you know what? It's such a blessing. And everyone who's involved is blessed by being there. And uh, I see people praying with, with them. And, and you know what? That's what happens when the church shows up in the darkness. When I think of when the, uh, we do initiatives for the her shelter, uh, that you guys always show up to help. And, and you guys always do it well. That's what happens when the church shows up in the darkness. I think of, we could talk trash about our students now because they're gone, but I think that when um, our crazy volunteers, actually you are still here, a couple of you, sorry. Uh, but, but like you take a week away from your family, from your jobs, and from all that you have going on to, to go take uh, 16 teenagers off to this incredible life-changing experience. That's crazy, but that's what happens when the church shows up. This, what, this is you when you go visit someone who's sick. It's you when you when you pray with someone who needs prayer. It's you when you take food to someone. It's you when you work in the nursery. It's you when you're generous to help someone else with their needs. It's you when you come to one of our groups and you start to share life and uh, 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 encourage one another. It's you when you take a cue from Jesus and lower yourself and you serve those around you. It's you when, when uh, there's a baptism and someone else is doing it and it's not me. And, and some people are like, oh, shouldn't Aaron be doing that? I'm like, no, man, you're a priest. And I love those stories that are intertwined with other people's lives because uh, that they want someone else to baptize them. To me, that's a double win because you're a priest. This is you 
when the church shows up and we punch holes in the dark that light can pervade. And that's what happens when the church shows up into the darkness. This world needs an encounter with Jesus. And, and you know, church, you, you are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. Church, you're the hope of the world, not because who we are, but because Jesus. And so I pray that you'll take your priestly duty series uh, serious. Uh, you know, consider our Game Changer Initiative. Pray over that. Uh, go check that out after the service. And then uh, my, my specific challenge for you is this, to live out your priestly duties in word and in deed, your word and your works this week. Specific example, uh, one would be uh, find a way that you can proclaim who Jesus is or what he's done in your life this week. Uh, I'll give you a cue. Uh, A lot of you guys are on Facebook, okay? A lot of you guys uh, could take that. What what if Facebook lit up this week of people just, just, just trying to point people towards Jesus in a way that is beautiful and meaningful uh, and, you know, like, how would that be a game changer? Uh, and then I want you to look for opportunities to live out your priestly duty. Uh, look for opportunities to serve like Jesus this week. How, look around you because opportunities are there. Yeah, we have opportunities here, but opportunities are around you every day. And I want you to look for those this week, and then I want you to step into them like Jesus. We advance the kingdom of God. It's not about us. It's not about Christ fellowship. It's not about a building. It's not about uh, our kingdom. It's about his. And God knows you. God created you. He gifted you. He has emboldened you. Uh, he, he has given you a longing for significance over success to be game changers. And I believe that you need this. And your church needs this. And the world needs this.